1: Thank you for that. I'm glad to be before you. How are we doing this morning, Southeastern? Good, good, good. Do me a favor and get the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 23 and 24, uh, but I do want to read that, then I want to pray, as we do remember uh, the thousands who lost their lives on September 11th. We want to pray for them. Uh, But before I do that, I also uh, want to say um, how I thought uh, Dr. Aiken loved me. I thought he loved me, uh, but he set me up to come after Dr. Crawford Luritz. Uh So, uh, being that uh, I have to question his love for me, being that Dr. Loritz read the scripture and preached right here from memory. Uh, I can't do that, uh, but I can read. So, I will read um, from the text, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us today. And we're going to pray as we remember those who lost their lives uh, in September, on September 11th. Uh, Galatians 1 verses 23 and 24. I'm breaking protocol. I'm actually reading from the CSB. and It says this, they simply kept hearing he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to come together as a faith family and we remember the many who lost their lives on that day of September 11th. Uh, Many went going about and expecting a normal day and then a tragedy struck. And so many years later we remember those who, brave men and women who went in trying to save lives and gave their lives in the process. Uh, That's a beautiful picture of the gospel, a God who gave his life to save others. And so we celebrate that reality but we mourn with those who are still dealing with the residue of what happened many years ago as they lost their loved ones. But we rejoice in the fact that those that know you and place saving faith with you, uh, in you, God, will live for eternity. Now, God, as we walk through the text, I pray that I do your text justice. Father God, move me out the way that I would preach under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's my prayer, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my strength and my in whom I trust. In Jesus' name, let all of God's people say amen. 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 I read an article and the article caught my attention because the title of the article was A Crooked Cop and An Innocent Man. And the article then goes on to tell the story of a guy by the name of Andrew Collins. Uh, Andrew Collins was a young officer in law enforcement and he had had the drive to move up the ranks within law enforcement. The only problem was uh, his drive led him to indiscretion. Uh, He would plant evidence. He would do whatever it takes in order to get as many collars as possible to move up. Well, one of the men he framed was a guy by the name of Jamil McGee. He had recently found out that he was going to be a dad, went to a convenience store and then McGee and Collins, their paths would cross and Officer Collins would plant evidence on him. As a result of that, McGee was sentenced to 10 years for a crime that he did not commit. He ended up serving several of this 10 year sentence, but then it became known that Officer Collins was a crooked cop, as the article says. It had also come out that he had falsely arrested over 20 people because of his indiscretions. Uh, McGee served several years of this sentence, but then was set free because of Officer Collins' indiscretions. Uh, Well, shortly after being free, two years later, uh, McGee was at a park. And at this park, he saw Officer Collins, who actually only had to serve 37 months for convicting over 20 people falsely. Clearly, there's something wrong with our justice system. Uh, Collins uh, is at this park. McGee is at this park. He sees the man whom, as a result of his indiscretion, caused him to miss his son's first step. He missed his son's first words. He missed his son's first day of school for a crime that he did not commit. His eyes are locked in on this man and he begins to approach him. As he walks up to this man in the park who robbed him of some joys of fatherhood and took several years of his freedom, he asks just two questions. The first question is, do you remember my name? Uh, the second question is, because McGee approached him this time, he was not by himself as he was in a convenience store when he was falsely arrested. This time McGee has his son. And the second question he asks Officer Collins, former officer, he says, can you tell my son why I was not there for him? story doesn't end there. These two men who cross paths based on the indiscretions and because we know that there's a God who is sovereign, these two men end up in a jobs for life program. In that Jobs for Life program, both of these men get saved, and now they tell their story all over the country. McGee forgave Collins, and isn't this a beautiful picture of what the gospel can do? (laughs) <laughs> uh, it, 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 with things going on in our country, it'd be real easy to focus on the fact that one did several years, the only, only, the only other only did 37 months, but now this is a beautiful testimony because what could have ended in tragedy actually ends in transformation. And that's what Paul is going to show us today, that we have been transformed by the gospel to testify about this gospel that we've been transformed by. He's going to share his testimony in the text today, and this is our big idea, Thought Tattoo as we call it at Vision, that gospel transformation is not beyond anyone. Let's read. He says, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is continuing to build on what he said earlier in the text. Verse 1, he lets us know that his apostleship was not something that he chose. He didn't erect himself into this, but that God called him and placed him in a position of apostleship. The other thing he wants us to know, he tells us in verse 8, that the message of the gospel is not something that came from him. And what he tells us here in these verses, he deals with the message of the gospel, but also the source of the gospel. He says, this message that I preach is not of human origin because the message of salvation by grace through faith and that alone is not something that man can come up with. Only God can come up with a beautiful message where it flips the script on the normal story because in the story of the gospel, the hero dies for the villain. And we're the villain that Jesus died for. And he says, this message, this message that I've come up with, and and don't let anyone taint it, he says that in verse 8, if anyone preaches any other gospel other than the one I preach, anathema, let a curse be on that person. This did not come from me because he has some detractors in the church, known as the Judaizers, questioning his apostleship, wanting to add to the gospel. And he says, no, not only is this message pure because the one who brings it, but the source of it is pure because it's God himself. This message I preach is not of human origin, man could not come up with this, verse 13. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Word spread about Paul, uh, about his ministry, uh, but also because people understood his former life. He was committed to Judaism. He was a a zealot for his Jewish faith. In fact, he was such a zealot, people knew about him. He quickly moves up. He sells another version of his testimony in the book of Philippians. But here's what I want us to see. Paul was not ashamed of his past because it pointed to the beauty of the gospel. First thing, the first reason he wasn't ashamed of his former life is because, number one, it was his former life. (laughs) He's not that person anymore. God has done a radical change in his life. But then the second reason he wasn't ashamed of his former life is because your former life reveals the beauty and power of what God has done. Don't ever be ashamed of the gory details of your testimony. Your testimony is not too gory or is not too boring. It points to a God who saves sinners, a God that makes his enemies his children. And so because of that beautiful reality, Paul says, you know my former way of life. In other words, you know how I used to be. You know what I used to do, but he's not afraid of that. And I want to encourage you, Southeastern students and ministers and faculty and staff, don't ever be ashamed of your story. It points to the power of the God that we serve. It points to what he does. That brings us to our first point about gospel transformation. Gospel transformation requires a former life. Paul says, again, you remember my former life. Here some elements of that former life. Number one, Paul studied under a guy named Gamaliel. Uh, Gamaliel em- embraced Hillel's school of thought as it related to the law, meaning he was radical about the law. They, uh, they wanted to uphold those hundreds of laws. They were radical about that. Paul also approved the stoning of Deacon Stephen, this is his former life, Acts chapter 8 verse 1. He dragged Christians from prison forcefully and violently, Acts chapter 8 verse 3. He threatened the disciples. In fact, when he got saved, he was talking trash to Christian believers in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. He voted against Christians, Acts chapter 26, verse 10. He placed tradition over grace, Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. And he lived in competition with others rather than in service to others, Galatians chapter 1, verse 14. And with all of that, this murderous person, this legalistic person, he was violent towards men and women of the Christian faith. And God says, that's who I'm going to use. God uses the most unlikely people to show off his power. Don't ever think you're too insignificant or that your story is too gory for God to use. God says, this, this guy who approved the stoning of Deacon Stephen that we see in Acts, this guy I'm going to use as my instrument to show off my glory. And I, want to say, I want to remind us that God wants to use us too. There's nothing too hard for him. But here's some hard questions that I want us to wrestle with. As Paul talks about his former life, number one is do you have a former life? Because what Paul is doing is he's saying that there has to be some evidence of gospel transformation in our lives. Do you have a former life? Is there something different about you since you've encountered this gospel that we say transforms people? Second hard question is this, do you miss your former life? If we're honest, sometimes it's real easy to drift away from what the Lord has shown us and what he's doing. And that's our third question, are you drifting it's real easy. I've, I've seen this, especially pastoring for several years, that, that people start off with so much zeal about God and excited about being saved. And then all of a sudden they begin to drift as things don't go their way, as prayers aren't answered, as you got to stay here one more semester, as you just can't get that Greek word right. I guess you got them all right. Amen to you. Um, but, but it's real easy to drift. David said it this way, Psalm 73, verse 3 For I envied the arrogant, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Are you comparing your faithfulness to God to the prosperity of the wicked? Psalm 37, verse 7 says, This, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Are you drifting? Because it would've been real easy for Paul to drift considering all that he's going through, the fact that he planted this church, he's given his life for this church. Chapter six, he lets us know, I write, I've written this letter in big, bold letters because I'm so passionate and I care about you. And the very people he cares about are being in, affected and infected by a false gospel. And it's real easy to get discouraged when you encounter persecution for doing the right thing. It's easy to drift. And Paul is saying, I have this form of life, you guys are questioning my apostle, apostleship. You didn't even know the things you know before you met me, yet he doesn't go there. He doesn't go there. Why? Because he told us this message isn't mine. And because this message isn't mine, even though you guys are being affected by this false gospel, I'm not going to make this about me. I'm going to keep this on the, on the source of the message I bring, and that's Christ. And yes, I'm hurt, but I won't drift. Next point about gospel transformation. Gospel transformation helps you to see beyond yourself. His former life consisted of pleasing man. He tells us this in chapter one, verse 10. He said, if I, if I was still trying to please, he says still, as if he used to do that, if I was still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Because saying yes to Jesus means I'm going to have to say no to some other people. Saying yes to Jesus means I'm going to have to say no to some other things. And so he's saying, I'm committed to this. I used to be this way. I used to be about pleasing man. I used to be in competition with others. He says, I advanced in Judaism beyond my contemporaries. I moved up quick within the Jewish ranks. And I, I defined myself by my productivity. In Southeast, and some of you would be tempted to do that, especially church planners. You'll be be real prone to define your effectiveness in ministry and your closeness with Christ by how many people show up each week. You'll be tempted to to measure your effectiveness in the gospel based on your grades. Not that you shouldn't do well, but but it's real easy to drift. And he's saying, no, no, I'm, I'm committed to this message and the source of the message because it's not me. Man cannot come up with this. But he used to compare himself. Comparison robs us of our joy. And it causes us to drift from the mission that God has called us to. You can't be looking at someone else and keep your eyes on Christ. You can't envy someone else's ministry and keep your eyes on Christ. You can only do one or the other. Which is why we're encouraged to fix. Look at me, Jesus says, and don't look away. Because you and I will be tempted. And Paul clearly could have been tempted here. He advanced beyond his contemporaries. He was zealous about that. But now he sees beyond himself. He's not zooming in even on those that are questioning his apostleship. And now think about this because this is beautiful, the humility he's displaying for us. Paul is fighting for people that want to fight with him. He's fighting for people that want to fight with him and that's a beautiful display of what Christ has done for us because Jesus made it clear we didn't choose him. He chose us to bear fruit. To bear fruit that will last. Now here's one of my favorite parts of the text here. And I pray y'all help me preach this. He says this, but when God, I love that. (laughs) I love that. But when God, whom from my mother's womb set me apart, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. He now begins to recall when his own personal gospel transformation took place. And, and he uses this conjunction here and he puts a noun uh, after that, but when God, but when God. And so here's the thing, you may not remember the exact date you got saved. We, we not, may not know the date and time, but make no mistake about it, we should not forget the moment we encountered Jesus. We should not forget that moment. In fact, Paul, we hear his story, we hear his testimony three times in the book of Acts, but there's a distinction that I do not want us to miss when you look at what what Luke wrote about Paul. In Acts chapter nine, Luke gives an overview of Paul's testimony. Paul was giving out these murderous threats, he was riding on a donkey, Jesus came through, knocked him off the donkey, scales was on his eyes, and the apostles had to hold his hands. That's Luke's overview of his testimony. But in Acts chapter 22, And in Acts chapter 26, Luke is the author of Acts, but is Paul telling his story himself? In Acts chapter 9, Luke is given an overview of his story, but in Acts chapter 22 and chapter 26, Paul is telling his story himself. And What he does in Acts chapter 22 verses 1 through 18, Paul talks about how he studied under Gamaliel and he's talking to his adversaries in, in the Hebrew language and he's talking about his story. But in Acts chapter 26, he adds in even, even another detail, he says that when Jesus he uses this phrase, crack the sky. He says his light, the term is this, outshone the sun. He's saying the light of Christ was even brighter than the sun. Then he says this, this detail that Luke doesn't put in Acts chapter 9, but when Paul tells his own story in Acts chapter 26, he says that not only did his light outshone the sun, that's the term Paul used. He says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Luke writes that part, but Luke leaves this part out. He says, why are you kicking against the goads? I needed a commentary for that phrase. And so it, it broke it down this way. He was saying, Jesus essentially was saying that you are fighting a battle that you cannot win. You are fighting a rigged fight. Don't kick against the goals. I have called you. You will be my instrument to the Gentiles. And here's the point in Acts chapter 9, when someone else tells the story, they leave out some details. But when Paul tells his story himself in chapter 22 and in chapter 26, when you tell your story because you should never forget the moment and what Christ has done for you you find more reasons to praise him and there are more details there he says in this I studied under Gamaliel chapter 22 his light outshone the Sun chapter 26 and he said don't kick against the goals because you should never forget the story you should never be ashamed of it because it reveals his power and I love that Paul says let me tell my own testimony because I was there and too often we're ashamed of how many sex partners we had before the gospel captivated us. We're ashamed of the embezzlement and the stealing. And we're ashamed how, be- how hard we were into religion. And we're ashamed. And he's saying, listen, I, not that God was happy that you and I were doing those things, but don't you leave out those details. What's worse is when Christians look down on people with those gory testimonies as if they're not recipients of grace themselves. How hypocritical, how hypocritical. Oh, you know he used to, and God saved him. You know she used to, and God saved, you know she's been with, and God saved, and this is Paul here, he's saying, but when God, here's the point family, You need to meditate on your but God moment, frequently. You need to meditate on your but God moment. I love what Paul does because, again, he puts this noun after conjunction, but we we can use but just just as as a conjunction normally. Things like this, the doctor said we couldn't have children, but we have a passion for adoption. I lost my job, but I have three interviews set up. My health is in question, but the illness isn't terminal. My money isn't where I want it to be, but my finances are better than where they used to be. I failed to lose weight five times, but I'm not giving up. I got to repeat Hebrew. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to try again. Now, that's encouraging, but I like what Paul does. He says, but when God. But when God, an echo of what he writes in Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy and he's doing this because he's showing us, he's saying, listen, listen, this message is not from me and I'm going to constantly remember that Jesus came to save a a, a guy who was beating up men and women, who was murdering people, who was yelling out threats, God came to save me. So he says, but God. I believe Joseph would say it this way, I was sold into slavery, I was falsely accused of sexual assault, but God put me and made me second in command. I think Ruth would say it this way, I was a Moabite woman, I lost my husband, my mother-in-law did not want me to go back to the Jewish town with her, but God saved me and made me a part of the earthly lineage of Christ. I think I think Peter would say I denied Jesus three times, I was loud and wrong, bad combination, but God saved me and allowed me to be used a part of his apostleship. I think Naaman would say, I had leprosy, I was attaining, no one wanted to touch me, but God came to me right where I was. I think Elijah would say, Elijah would say that Ahab and Jezebel wanted my throat, they wanted to kill me. I stood before hundreds of false God-worshipping people, but God was there and he showed up. When you add God to your testimony, things turn around. What about you? I was crippled in the bondage of religion, but God revealed his amazing grace and freed me from legalism. I thought my sin was too dark, but God saved me. I I still have some areas in my life where I struggle, but God is still with me and wants to use me. My earthly father rejected me. If you have that, da- daddy issues, but God, my heavenly father, accepts me. What is your but God moment? <laughs> Here's the point. Here's the point. There's no prerequisite for grace. Gospel transformation is a gift. It's just a gift. He says, you, you can't earn this. You can't go enough days without cussing, that won't earn it. You can't go several, several years of celibacy, that won't earn it. I'm just that good because John describes me, John says that I am love, God says. And because I'm love, my gospel proves that you're lovable because you didn't do anything to earn it, yet I still extended it to you. And when you meditate on that truth, it reminds you, And your but God moment takes you there. And I love this because what Paul shows us is his personal encounter with Jesus, his personal testimony never got old. Never got old. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26. Philippians. (laughs) Paul comes back to the moment Jesus interrupted his plan. Aren't you grateful for that divine interruption? I said, Aren't you grateful for that divine interruption? So, Paul says, I had to tell people about it. How could we keep a message like this to ourselves? How could we not let others know about this beautiful reality about Christ? I mean, think about this. Think about how we use our time. The average person has 27 conversations per day, the average conversation lasts 10 minutes adds up to about four and a half hours per, per day, and you may be shocked by this, but both men and women use 16,000 words per day. How many of those conversations involve what Jesus has done in your life? Not just epistemology and fancy words, not just Calvin. How about the God of Calvin? Not the institutes, but Jesus himself. Because sometimes we talk around God, but not about God. So if you're not careful, you'll talk around God and you'll be quoting theologians. I know you know the institutes, do you know Hebrews? I know both Jerome, amen, God bless you. Verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me, Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brothers. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write you. I, I like this, just the urban version of this. Paul said, I ain't lying, I ain't lying. Then he took it up, I ain't lying. Verse 21, afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I reminded person and remained I'm sorry personally, unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. Next point, gospel transformation must be evident in our lives in three primary ways. The first one is humility. Paul displays humility, waits three years, stays with Cephas, this is Peter, for three weeks, and then continues to plead with the new Christian converts that are being infected and affected by this false gospel, this false doctrine, where they want to add circumcision, whenever you add anything to the gospel, you lose the complete gospel. So he, he fights, he fights, but, but he still engages his detractors. Now later he's going to be hardcore, he's going to say, look, just cut it all off. He, he goes hard, but, but Paul is saying he knows how to be gentle and he knows how to be tough and he knows how to remain humble. Because if you, if you think about this, it would have been real easy for him to just go off on all of them, but instead, he continues to engage because he understood that he didn't deserve and he didn't earn the gospel himself, so it kept him humble to be able to engage. The second way, so the first way gospel transformation is evident in this particular pericope is humility. Second way is in relationships. I love what he says in verse 18, he says, I went to get to know Cephas. You see that? So gospel transformation is evident in the relationships that we have because this is important. Salvation is personal but it is not individual. We need the community of faith around us and so, notice what he says. Not to just be around and and have a surface level relationship, not to just talk about all these nice theological terms, I went to get to actually know Peter. Which is important because he's going to rebuke him in chapter 2. (laughs) So, so it's good that they have a relationship here. He went to get to know him. So, gospel transformation is evident in the humility that we display to people who love us, also also to those who hate us, but it's also evident in the relationships that we have with one another. But listen, also to the world. Do we have compassion? Then thirdly, evangelism, Paul's personal encounter in Acts chapter 9. Led him to personal engagement throughout his 13 letters. My, my prayer is that none of us will separate our story from our but God moment, because Paul didn't. Paul didn't separate his ministry from his but God moment, if you will. It's what fueled his ministry, it's what kept bringing him back to the cross. Next, gospel transformation takes active surrender. Notice Paul went to Syria and Cilicia, he didn't just magically appear there. In other words, while our works don't save us, works do spring forth from salvation, you catch that? Our works do not save us, that's clear, but when James says faith without works is dead, it's important for us to understand that because I am saved, there are things that I do in light of what's been done. And so he didn't, just, he didn't just stay there, he, he did what the school encouraged us to do, he, to go. He went to Cilicia. He went to Arabia. He goes to these places in order to encounter. Last two verses, they simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Paul's murderous threats of Acts chapter 9, now in light of his salvation and his own conversion, point to a merciful father. So what do we do with this? Three things, family. One, remember your story. Remember your story. Remember the details. They point to His power. They point to His mercy. And they're not just for you. What you have gone through is not just for you. Share your story. I mean, mean, think about this. Paul, Paul shared his story constantly. You go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he lets us know some of the things he's gone through. Man, he was stoned one time, shipwrecked three times, had to spend the night on the ocean one of those times he was shipwrecked, last five times, which means 195 lashes he received. Then to top all of that off, Paul got bit by a snake. I would have bit the snake back. He went through all of that. And he says, I I want you to know, I'm going through all this, but what is keeping me, what is keeping me to sharing this story of this gospel is the fact that I get to go through this because of my king. If my father could endure the persecution of the cross for the joy set before him, which is the father's glory, surely I can go through this because this is not about me. Remember your story, share your story. Number three, trust God with the outcome. Trust God with the outcome. You hear that hyper-Calvinist? Trust God with the outcome. I was predestined to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Paul, Paul, Paul comes back to the beautiful reality, what Christ has done for him. He says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified, verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom but on God's power. Paul kept coming back to his personal hero. He kept coming back to who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Not too long ago, uh, many of us was introduced, if you follow the news, to a guy by the name of James Shaw. Uh, James Shaw has been heralded as the Waffle House hero. Uh, because he went to one Waffle House and it was full, Uh, then he went to another one and it was a packed house in that house, Uh, but a tragedy hit that Waffle House when a gunman came in and ended up shooting people, actually killing four people. James Shaw uh, found himself in a corner and heard the footsteps of the gunman coming towards him and he decided to do something about it. He ran towards the gunman and actually got the gun from the gunman. And since then, he's been on television shows, been on talk shows. He received $20,000 from Ellen, another $20,000 from, 20, from Dwayne Wade. He also raised $200,000 for the funerals of the victims of this Waffle House shooting. But this is what James Shaw says about this situation. This is his own testimony about that experience. He says this, I did that completely out of a selfish act. I was completely doing it just to save myself. Now, me doing that, I did save other people, but I don't want people to think that I was the Terminator or Superman or anybody like that. It it just, it was just, I figured if I was gonna die, he was gonna have to work for it. Amen, James. If I'm going to die, he's going to have to work for it. So here's the difference. Here's the beautiful thing about this. Because he found himself in the corner, he ran towards the danger in order to save himself. There was another man that ran towards danger, known as the God-man, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He ran towards the danger of death. He ran towards the danger of sin. He ran towards the danger of the grave, and he took, he took the souls of his people back, and he ran towards the danger. The difference is James saw ran towards danger to save himself. Jesus ran towards danger to save us. And this beautiful reality, that beautiful reality is why Paul said, I got to share my story. Even the gory details. I can't keep it to myself. So let me encourage you. It's real easy to get scared around all these big words and you got a past or you have a record and you're ashamed. Paul had a record. But that record pointed to the beauty of the gospel. Remember your story, share your story, trust God with the outcome. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, and truth. We praise you, God, that in you we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but we are also unconditionally loved and eternally protected. And so we celebrate who you are and what you've done And I pray over the student body, the faculty, the staff, the president, everyone here, God, as we begin this year, that we would honor you, we would glorify you, that we, this story is so good, we cannot keep it to ourselves. So we pray for our city, that you will be glorified in and through us for your own power and your own glory and your own renown. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for
0: listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary.